Well, hey, uh, tonight uh, is the part of the night where we are going to look at God's Word together. And just as we do that tonight, I want you to imagine a couple scenarios with me. Uh, imagine this scenario. The, the uh, first scenario I want us to ponder tonight is the, the scenario of what it would be like to be caught in an addiction. So maybe you've tried really hard to break free of whatever the thing is that you're addicted to, but it just feels like you're stuck. So there's one scenario. Now, here's another scenario. The situation of having just gone through a really, really painful breakup. You know, maybe you have experienced this. Maybe you're someone here tonight who would say, you know, I really want to be married someday. And so if you were to go through an experience of a painful breakup, you might try really hard to, to get past it, to get over it, but it just it feels like you're stuck. Or, last of all, uh, third scenario, imagine that you're desperate to find a job. And you've applied and applied and applied to all kinds of different places, but all of your applications are rejected and it's been months now, and your money's running out, and you're like, man, I, I need a job. You feel stuck as well. So three scenarios just to start out tonight of what it looks like to be stuck, uh, what it looks like to wonder, okay, what's the next step? I um, mean, the passage that we're going to look at today, that's the situation that the Israelites are in. Um, so as you may know, we're in the middle of a series called Best Story Ever. And what we're doing is we're just taking the Old Testament and the New Testament, we're taking a selection of stories from each of those in order to get the big picture of the Bible, the Bible at 30,000 feet. And so at this point in the story, the Israelites have come out of Egypt, and they're trying to get into the promised land, the land of Canaan. Um, but the problem is this picture. <laughs> Here's the Israelites' problem. Not that picture. That's the series slide picture. That picture. Does anyone know what that picture is of? That, well, right, it says Egypt on there. Well done. Uh, but specifically, it, it, it is the part of Egypt, the modern-day Egypt, that we call the Sinai Peninsula. Sinai is a big, massive desert. And so just like the people in those three scenarios, the Israelites are stuck, and they're stuck in that desert. They're in the wilderness. They're literally homeless. And it's a really big deal for the Israelites to be homeless. Uh, maybe you remember a couple weeks ago uh, when we said that the Old Testament looks a little bit like this particular object on uh, the next slide. Hey, Travis, could you go to the next slide? Thanks. There it is. <laughs> Anyone uh, recognize what this is? It's a gigantic funnel. Uh, so a couple weeks ago, uh, we said that the Old Testament is sort of like a funnel. You know, the story of God, it starts out really, really big. You know, it starts with the creation of the entire world. But then it narrows down, and it focuses on one particular family tree. And a, a family tree belonging to a guy named Abraham. And so God promises Abraham th uh, three main things. The promise of blessing, the promise of a land, and then the promise of a seed. And in the Bible, uh, that word seed in this context means a special descendant. So God's promising Abraham, hey, Abraham, you're going to have a special descendant uh, from your family tree, and he's going he's to be special. And as the Old Testament continues, it zooms in on one particular branch of that tree. And it's the branch that goes through Abraham, then narrows to Abraham's son Isaac, 
then it narrows to Isaac's son Jacob, then it narrows to Jacob's son Judah, so on and so forth. Well, why? Why does it do this? Well, because like a funnel, the Old Testament is wanting to zoom in on where the very special descendant, where the seed of Abraham is going to come from. And that seed, the title for that person is the Messiah. The promised Messiah, and he is the one who alone is going to be able to reverse the curse and to bring us back to God. But now, here's the problem. At this point of the story, think about where Abraham's family is. Uh, they've got no land, so they're landless, uh, they're homeless. And if God, you know, remember there are these three main promises, blessing, land, and seed. Well, if God doesn't keep his promise about the land, how do we know that he's going to keep his promise about the seed? Do you see the, do you see the dilemma? And, you know, on top of that, if God doesn't give the Israelites a land, well then, you know, they're, they're homeless. They're at risk, potentially, of dying out. You know, how then can the seed be born if Abraham's family doesn't make it? So, so here's our question. How are the Israelites going to get out of the wilderness and into the promised land? What's, what's their next step? Okay, here's one possibility. Possibility number one. Could it be, could it be, that the way that they're going to get into the next, uh, into the promised land is through the law. The law. So remember a, a couple weeks ago, uh, one of the stories we looked at was a story where God gives to the Israelites the law, you know, the Ten Commandments plus, you know, and, and then some. And uh, the law, you know, the law is kind of one of the things that characterized the people of Israel. That, you know, they had these special instructions from God that told them how to live, and none of the other nations had this. And sometimes, you know, in the face of an overwhelming problem, we respond by trying to look to law, you know, by trying to measure up or play by the rules better. So, you know, uh, for example, you know, like if you are thinking of like that, that one scenario of like, okay, I went through a breakup, you know, what do I do now? Well, you know, you might think, well, you know, I have to go like find a way to make myself more marketable or something. You know, sometimes you think dating is, you know, I think sometimes we have a bit of a, an unhealthy marketing mentality when it comes to dating. Uh, you know, you might try to think, well, you know, how can I, how can I measure up? Or same thing with trying to find a job. You know, like if you get rejected, you say, well, okay, how can I measure up? How can I level up? How can I just, you know, kind of conform more to the right rules? Maybe that's the next step forward, you know? So, so the question that, you know, you might be wondering if you're kind of reading through this whole story uh, as, uh, for the first time as well. Okay, like God gave Israel the law. You know, is, is that going to be the way that he brings them in? Like if they obey the law enough, maybe God will allow them to enter into the promised land. Well, now the reason we know that can't be, and the reason we know that that can't work, is because of this picture. Uh, Travis, can you put the next slide up on the screen? <laughs> it's because of this. <laughs> this is uh, the, the picture of the golden calf, so Exodus chapter 32, no sooner has God given the law to Israel, uh, you know, the Ten Commandments, the very first one of which is, you shall have no other gods before me, and they can't even get past commandment number one. <laughs> Moses leaves them for five minutes, and they make the golden calf, and they bow down and worship it as their God. So we know that the law isn't going to help them, because no sooner have they gotten the law than they break it. So now, tonight, that takes us to our story. So in, in this, this text, we're looking at a, a text from the book of Numbers, uh, Numbers chapter 13, which, by the way, you guys probably, you know, we're talking about uh, Numbers 13, and I mentioned dating earlier. You guys know there's the, the classic Christian pickup line? 
where you were one per, don't ever try this at home kids, but you know, uh, I was reading the book of Numbers and I just noticed I, I didn't have yours. Oh yeah, pretty, pretty awful. You know, if, if don't, oh stop. <laughs> okay, so Numbers 13, Numbers 13. Uh, let me just, let me just kind of, as we've been doing, I'm just going to give you a, a little high-flying overview of a couple things in this chapter, and then in small groups you can look at it more. But the Israelites in this chapter, so they're approaching the promised land, they're getting close to the borders of it, and so they send out 12 spies. And the reason they send out 12 spies is they want to scout out the land. They want to see, okay, you know, what are we, what are we about to enter into here? And so there's one scout who's sent from each of the tribes, and it says that they're gone for 40 days. And to just spill the beans of, of what happens next, in Numbers 13, the spies come back after spying out the land for 40 days, and then 10 of them, 10 of the 12 spies, basically come back and they say, it's impossible. It's impossible. There is no way that we're going to be able to take the promised land because, you know, we went to the promised land and we saw all of these other people, all these other nations, these strong, powerful nations in the promised land. And, and it's just, it's just not possible. There's no way that we could ever conquer them. They're going to conquer us. So here's a, this is verses, uh, I think it's 31 through 33. Yeah. Uh, then the men who had gone up said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in it are of great height. We seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. So there's the, the report that the ten spies give. Now a question tonight. Uh, is that a true report, or is it a false report? Is it a true report or is it a false report? Uh, you raise your hand if you think it's a true report. Okay, so a couple people. Raise your hand if you think it's a false report. Okay, um, it's kind of an interesting question, actually. You know, there's, there's, there's definitely, you know, there's some hyperbole going on here. Look, you know, they say, uh, you know, we seem like grasshoppers to them. You know, they're not literally saying that they're like the size of grasshoppers. Uh, but, you know, they're, they're saying, look, you know, we Israelites, we're a small people. And all the other nations are so much more powerful and intimidating. But, but in a way, you know, there is kind of some truth to what they say, that like these are really strong and really powerful nations. And, you know, we're a pretty ragtag bunch of people. I mean, we're a bunch of former slaves. But then why? So, okay, if there is a grain of truth, why then does the text call, call this report a bad report? says that there, I think it's in verse, uh, what is it, verse 31, 32? Well, the reason I think it's called a bad report here is because God had promised the Israelites already that he was going to defeat their enemies. You can read about that in Exodus 33, uh, verses 1 and 2, if you want to go look it up later. But God himself, he, he had promised that he was going to help them conquer the land. But instead of trusting that promise, the Israelites refused to believe in God. And here's what we read in the next chapter, uh, Numbers 14, about how the people respond to the report of the ten spies. So this is uh, Numbers 14, not on the handout. Uh, then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, would that we had died in the land of Egypt, 
or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Egypt, of course, is the place where they had been slaves. So what's going on here? You know, why do the Israelites say this? Why do the Israelites do this? What's going on? Well, uh, you know, some of you guys, maybe you've read the Chronicles of Narnia before. Anyone ever read the Chronicles of Narnia? Uh, The last book in that series by C.S. Lewis is a book called The Last Battle. And if you're familiar with that book, you may remember there's a scene in The Last Battle where a group of dwarves um, who have become so hardened, uh, they, they become hardened and cynical to the idea that Aslan, who's the Christ character in the books, that Aslan actually exists. And repeatedly they say, they can't take us in. The dwarves are for the dwarves. Well, eventually Aslan shows up and he reveals himself to the dwarves, but they're so committed to their stubborn worldview that even when Aslan roars, they're convinced that it must be, you know, some kind of auditory illusion that's designed to trick them. And when Aslan places an enormous feast of fine food in front of them, they insist that it's no better than animal feed designed to mock them. And finally, Aslan concludes... He says, you see, they will not let us help them. They have chosen cunning instead of belief. They have chosen cunning instead of belief. The evidence is right in front of their nose, and yet they refuse to trust it. Um, You know, maybe you've had an experience kind of like that, where you've tried to help someone, but they get so wrapped up in themselves, you know, that they, they, they won't let you help them. You know, as the proverb says, uh, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make the horse drink. And, and that's kind of what the situation in Numbers 13 is like. God has told the Israelites that he will defeat their enemies. And that's not just some kind of idle, you know, thing to say. Like, this is the same God who has already proven his might and his power to them. I mean, he's uh, poured out the 10 plagues on Egypt. He's parted the Red Sea. Um, He's defeated the Egyptians. So, you know, they have plenty of reason to believe that when God says, hey, I'm going to take you into this land, that he means it. But instead of believing his promise, they get distracted. They get overwhelmed by their problems, by, you know, by the smallness of their forces, the great size of of the other army. To them... Their, prom- their problems were bigger than God's promises. Their problems were bigger than God's promises. I want to ask you tonight, what about you? You know, Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. You know, there is no shortage of problems in this life. But I want to ask you, which looms larger to you? Is it your problems or Is it God's promises? Your problems or God's promises? Uh, To flesh this out a little bit, I want to look at just one, just one of of the countless promises of God that belong to us in Scripture. So this is the famous verse, Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So this verse says that God is both all good and all powerful, that that he can work all things together for good for those who love him. 
and that he will work all things together for good for those who love him. But of course, you know, you probably are sitting here maybe wondering or thinking, well, now, wait a minute. It sure doesn't seem like that can be true. Like, there have been a lot of things that I've experienced in my life that really don't seem as though God is working all things together for good. You know, either he doesn't want to or he can't. But just, you know, like, I, I want you to just, like, for, for the sake of the argument, imagine that the promise in Romans 8.28 really is true. Imagine that that really is true. If that promise is true, then you can face anything. You know, just think back to the, the opening scenarios. You know, so let's say that it's, it's the breakup scenario. If you really want to be married and God never allows you to get married, then, it is, then it's, it's a fact that being single is the very best thing that God can do for you if Romans 8.28 is true. Or think about the job scenario. If you're desperately looking for a job and you've gone months without finding one, then it's a, it's a fact that being in between jobs for a long season is the very best thing that God can do for you. Now, this, you know, I just want to, I want to give a little disclaimer here. Um, there are so many things that are evil and wrong and painful in our world, and I'm not trying to just use a, a simple kind of brushstroke over a lot of the, the horrendous evils that are in our world and that maybe some of us have even experienced. And I want to acknowledge that there's definitely a good deal of mystery in the way that God works all things for, together for good. And I think for many things, we're not going to fully see or understand the way that all things work together for good in this life. This promise doesn't just apply to now. It ultimately is fulfilled in heaven. But the reason that I, I want to kind of meditate on this is because, you know, sometimes there are times where we get so distracted by the size of our problems that we miss out on God's perspective on how God's promises are bigger than our problems. And, you know, what does that look like in real life? Um, let me just give you one example. Uh, so about, let's see, this would have been about 70 years ago, um, there was a young woman named Elizabeth Elliot. And Elizabeth Elliot, with her husband Jim, uh, moved to Ecuador in order to be missionaries. They were reaching out uh, to a, a, a people group that didn't know the name of Jesus, and they were a people group that was known for its extreme violence. Well, uh, one day, Jim, her husband, and four other men were trying to, to make contact with this tribe. And for a number of reasons, it went horribly wrong, and all five of the men were speared to death. Now, at this point, Elizabeth Elliot had only been married for about a year and a half. And if you know their story, you know that it took years and years before they were even able to be married. They were deeply in love for years and years and years, but then just for a number of reasons, it took many, many years for them even to be able to come to a point where they could be married. You know, it's kind of life circumstances and, and that kind of thing. And so here's Elizabeth Elliot. She's only been married for a short time. She's now a, a widow. She has a, a one-and-a-half-year-old daughter to raise. And she's in the middle of a jungle. You know, like, can you imagine a situation that would be more overwhelming than that? I recently just listened to an interview uh, recording of, of Elizabeth Elliot looking back when she was much, much older on that particular season in her life. And it was just the most amazing interview ever because she, she said that, you know, after this happened, all these people wrote her letters. They were all concerned about her. But she wasn't concerned about herself. She said, you know, I knew that God is totally sovereign and I knew that God is totally good. And so even though it was deeply painful 
And even though I didn't understand it, I knew that I was exactly where I was supposed to be. And she describes how she just took the next step forward and the next step forward. And she believed that, that God was still looking out for her, even in the midst of that kind of suffering. And so instead of giving into unbelief, Elizabeth Elliot believed God's promises and overcame. She was an example of someone who took God at his word and regarded his promises as bigger and weightier than the problems in her life. So what does that have to do with this story? Uh, well, in Hebrews chapter 3, this is New Testament now, but it's a part of the Bible that's looking back on this story in the Old Testament. And in Hebrews 3.19, which uh, I think should be on the next slide here, it says, we see that they, the Israelites, were unable to enter because of unbelief. So the author of Hebrews is looking at this story and he's saying that hidden in this story is the secret, really, of how to live as a Christian. It's not through law. It's not through works. It's through faith. You know, that's what the verse says. They were unable to enter because of unbelief. And it's true. Later in Numbers 14, uh, just like with Aslan and the dwarves, God gives the people over to what they asked for. The people said, would that we had died in this wilderness. And God says, well, if that's really what you want, for the next 40 years, he tells them, they're going to wander in that wilderness, and every Israelite of that generation will die. None will enter the promised land. And then the people said, our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Well, then God says, okay, well, then your little ones, your children, they're not only going to survive, but they are going to be the ones who will enter the promised land in the end. So it's a demonstration of the fact that if you're trying to live the Christian life like just you know, try to tinker with or solve all your problems on your own rather than resting and leaning and relying on the promises of God, then ultimately that's going to lead to discouragement and maybe even um, something worse. So we know that that's, you know, law isn't the right way to get into the land. Unbelief isn't the right way either. But then one last detail in this text is that in Numbers 14, I ended 13, there's mention made of two other characters whose names are Joshua and Caleb. Um, Joshua and Caleb, they're the two spies who believed God. And instead of going along with the ten spies, they came back and they gave the report that God could take the land. They were going to be able to conquer it. And in uh, chapter 14, verse 30, you'll notice that there's a different outcome that Joshua and Caleb experience. Uh, it says, all of your number, uh, verse 30, listed in the census from 20 years old and upward who have grumbled against me, not one shall come into the land where I swore that, they, uh, that I would make you dwell, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. And like the author of Hebrews, like Elizabeth Elliot, Joshua and Caleb are a demonstration that the way to get unstuck, the way to move forward with God is faith, confident trust in the promises of God. Just one quick story to close. Uh, some of you guys, anyone ever here go to a Calvary Chapel church? I know at least some of you guys, yeah. So uh, Calvary Chapel, there's a guy named Chuck Smith. Chuck Smith was uh, one of the founders of the Calvary Chapel movement of churches. Um, well, there was a, a time one day when he and his wife were really, really low on funds, and they weren't quite sure what they were going to do. And so uh, they're, they're struggling, struggling, what do we do, what do we do, what do we do? Well, then finally, uh, you know, I think something, I think, I think like his boss like gave him an unexpected raise. 
And he uh, goes home and he's like rejoicing and celebrating that, oh my goodness, you know, um, thank goodness for my boss. You know, thank goodness he kind of looked out for me, you know, took note of me and gave me this raise. And kind of in that moment, he felt like the Lord just sort of spoke to him and, and just kind of whispered a little lesson in his ear and said, well, now, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, you're rejoicing now that your boss has provided for you. Um, but wait, you know, why weren't you rejoicing before? You know, haven't I promised that I will look out for every need that you have? And, and God brought him to the, the verse in Philippians chapter 4 that says, my God will supply all of your needs in Christ Jesus. And he got kind of convicted. He realized, well, there was the promise of God there all along. <laughs> I could have rested on that promise. I didn't even need to get freaked out in the first place because God promises he's going to provide for my needs. And he learned the lesson of this chapter that thanks be to God, his promises can loom larger than our problems. So that's what this story is going to point us to tonight. So let me pray and then we'll go to small groups. Father, I'm just thank you that you haven't left us um, without the aid of the promises you've given us in scripture. Um, help us to know them, help us to memorize them, help us to lean on them. Um, that we would have the kind of um, faith that overcomes no matter what happens in our lives, no matter how dark or challenging the world around us gets. Father, thank you that your promises are something that we can build our lives on. In Jesus' name, amen.